Melissa Ward-Jones, thank you very much for taking my call, and welcome to Radio Canada International. Hi, great. Thanks for having me. Now, you've just published uh, uh, some research on uh, uh, permafrost degradation in in the high Canadian Arctic uh, on Ellesmere Island. Uh, a lot of people don't think about permafrost uh, degradation that far north. What is happening there? So what's happening is, so this is a polar desert environment. And so what this means is that we don't have the, like a vegetation layer because vegetation is very patchy. There's a lot of bare soil um, everywhere. And we, there's very little organic cover. And so you lack this protective buffer that you have in the lower, lower Arctic. So where we are on Ellesmere Island, um, permafrost is more in equilibrium with climate. So any increase in summer temperatures, if you reach a new maximum summer temperatures, you're going to have an increase in your thaw depth. So this is the layer of soil at the surface um, that goes above zero every summer. And if you have ice switch permafrost, which we do have in these areas, this the ice within the permafrost is going to melt. And that volume that the ice is occupying uh, below the surface of the ground is going to be gone. And then you have a lowering of the ground surface. And these create um, the landforms that I studied within my paper that are called retrogressive slumps. Uh, we can call them slumps for short because it's a long title. Um, but essentially, this is what's happening. So we're having um, increases in summer temperature, and then you have a widespread increase in thaw slumps that is also occurring with these temperatures. So what does it look like uh, when you're there on the ground? Just uh, for people uh, who have never been to the Arctic, especially that high in the Arctic, uh, can you describe what's the landscape like? So this landscape specifically is very flat. So where I'm working is called the Eureka Sound Lowlands. So we're in this like flat area. We're surrounded by mountains. Like I said, vegetation is very patchy. Um, we have great wildlife. So there's muskox, there's wolves. If you see story in Arctic wolves, um, the gen in the area, a lot of them have been done in the area that uh, this work actually comes from. And so if you see uh, these bumps, they essentially look like landslides. They're kind of like ground ice generated landslides. They're kind of horseshoe shaped features. Um, so these are indicators of permafrost instability and degradation. Um, and then we also have other kind of permafrost features uh, known as ice wedges that form these polygons as well. Um, but it's just, it's a flat landscape. It's very beautiful. It's sunny 24 hours a day during the summer. Um, but being a polar desert, there's very little vegetation. What does your research mean for our understanding how climate change is affecting the high, the high Arctic? So for a long time, we thought that areas, permafrost areas kind of closer to the fine point, so closer to zero degrees Celsius, kind of more further south, were the most sensitive to change because they were closer to that um, zero degree um, thawing point. And a lot of work has been done in those areas, and this is incredibly important work. 
So then we thought areas further north and areas that are close to the North Pole, uh, like the area I'm working in, would be more stable because these areas are colder um, and permafrost thickness is greater. But what my study is showing is that, no, these places aren't immune to climate change. Um, just during the short summer, that can just be weeks in length. I mean, it can be a month long, it can be six weeks long. If you have a warm July, it can be enough um, to cause permafrost degradation. And this is what we're seeing. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the environment uh, that it's in. And so I think this is a wake-up call that change is happening in these really, really um, areas uh, that are really far north. And and that's because the ground there, the permafrost, is just uh, uh, basically liquid soil that ha- has been frozen, and as soon as it thaws up, it just flows away? Well, it's... So, the I mean, the ground ice formed thousands of years ago, and it's been there, and we do see... Um, these landforms occurring without um, increases in summer temperatures. So if you have ice-rich permafrost, any kind of local factors such as erosion or like a slope process can still create these features. But it's when we see these widespread increases, these large jump in numbers going from 100 active slumps to over 200 active slumps, that means something is going on on the bigger regional scale. And so we're linking this with increases um, in summer temperatures. But the ground ice um, remained in, uh, intact see, for thousands of years. And now you would have kind of like little local degradation, but now we're seeing more widespread degradation. So de- degradation occurring in like a wider area. Uh, now, this area is uh, about uh, the 80th parallel north, uh, if I got my yes. uh, geography right. So this is pretty far north. Uh, just can you describe, uh, like, what is it like getting there? Um, and what is it like working that far north? Uh, so <laughs> they're both very, very difficult. They're very logistically difficult and really, really expensive. And I also think um, that's why we don't see as much work being done in these higher latitudes because it's so expensive and difficult to get there. Um, so for the research team that I'm on, who, who's led um, by my co-author and PhD supervisor, Dr. Wayne Pollard, also in the Department of Geography at McGill. So our first step is to fly commercially to Resolute. This is the furthest north you can fly commercially in Canada. But once we get to Resolute, we're still not at our field site. Um, so then after, with the help of the Polar Continental Shelf Program, um, they take care of and help with logistics within the Canadian government. We then charter an aircraft uh, to Eureka from Resolute, and that's another maybe three, two and a half, three-hour flight. And then once we're there, we're dropped off with all our gear, and if you forget something or if something doesn't work, you're on your own, you really need to just kind of make do with what you have. Um, and it's not a place that you can just go visit whenever you want. It's like these are planned field expeditions, um, and we go and we try to get as much done as we can and hope everything works out. Um, and we've been going every July. Well, I suppose we're going for every July for almost 30 years now. <laughs> 